Welcome to Chapter 3 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Doug Fridsma, President and CEO of AMIA. In this segment, Fridsma talks about why ONC's approach to standards is more like managing a financial portfolio than choosing one stock, what he believes is the biggest misconception when it comes to how meaningful use was structured, and where CIO should be focused when it comes to EHR systems. HealthSystemCIO.com podcasts are sponsored by Improvata, the healthcare IT security company ranked number one by class for secure messaging and single sign-on. For more information, visit their website at Improvata.com. You've been with EMEA for about three years? Yeah. This November will be my three-year anniversary. Okay. So since fall of um, 2014, um, I've been with EMEA. And I was with ONC from 2009 through 2014, so about five years. Okay. And I, I can imagine that there were, there were a lot of learnings from that experience that, that have helped <laughs> uh, shape your role that you have now. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when I was at ONC, I was the director of the Office of Standards and Interoperability, and then later the chief um, science officer for ONC. And so my job was understanding and conveying some of the hard technical details so that as we tried to turn meaningful use into policies and regulations, we'd have a good understanding of what the pros and cons of different technology solutions uh, applied to those different policy options might be. And there's a lot that, that we learned. You know, early on, we had to adopt standards that existed because we simply didn't have time to create the ones that would be better than the ones that we had. Um, I think one of our, or one of my mottos when I was there is that we want to take a path of least regret because right. we have to adopt certain things now. There were regulatory mandates and timelines that we had to follow. Um, but at the same time, we knew that there could be better solutions and we didn't want to box ourselves in or adopt a solution that we knew couldn't ad adapt and change and grow. You know, so at the time, with some of the early work of Meaningful Use, for example, around vocabularies for drugs, mm -hmm. at the time, most people were using proprietary ways of, of recording the information for drugs. But we knew that the National Library of Medicine was working on a drug vocabulary called RxNorm. And so rather than having everybody make radical changes to their systems and adopt RxNorm in the first round, Meaningful Use Stage 1 said, Here's a list, and I can't remember the number. It was, I think, 17 or something along those lines. Vocabularies for drugs that can be mapped to RxNorm. So in the first cycle, we're going to constrain what you're going to do by picking a vocabulary that can map to RxNorm, knowing full well that you can anticipate in the second round of <laughs> regulations, we're going to ask you to adopt RxNorm. Right. And so that gave the industry some time to kind of consolidate without necessarily pulling the rug up from under them. Similarly, we adopted two standards of Meaningful Use Stage 1, where we adopted um, the CCD and the CCR, um, two different standards for clinical care. One was a clinical care record, one was a clinical care document, two related but not identical standards. And then what we did in Meaningful Use Stage 2 is we consolidated those two and we created what's called the Consolidated CDA, which was the consolidated version that incorporated the CCR and CCD viewpoints into one kind of standard for continuity of care record and the, um, the uh, 
summary of care, is it mm-hmm. transitions of care and the summary of care. So we tried to kind of um, anticipate that. We did not adopt uh, a full suite of V3 uh, messages from HL7. That was the current state of the art because other countries had done that, England in particular and Canada had adopted the full suite of V3 messages and they turned out to be very, very challenging to implement and expensive and a little bit unwieldy. So we adopted one just because we needed to get one thing out there and you know, then allowed flexibility for things like fire to come, come down the road. Mm-hmm. I think our approach to standards was more like managing a financial portfolio than it was to pick a particular stock and just you know, go all in. Right. If 30 years ago you knew that uh, Microsoft was going to go gangbusters or that Apple was going to go crazy, yeah. you could have gone all in, but you, don't, you never know that. And so the way you manage your retirement portfolio is that you, you hedge your bets. You make sure that you've got a balanced portfolio of different things. And so what we tried to do is to create a portfolio of standards that we knew we could rebalance in the future if we needed to as one standard became old, we could replace it with a new one, but we wanted to make sure that the portfolio all worked together so that we'd have vocabulary standards and transport standards and structure document standards and know that we could swap out a transport standard without disrupting our content standards, or we could swap out or update the vocabulary standards and not necessarily disrupt our content standards. So we saw this really as a portfolio that rather than having a million proprietary ways of doing things, you only had, you know, for example, 17 with drugs and then eventually one. And I think that's kind of the approach that we took for a lot of the standards work that we did. Okay. Probably not information that people know because no, <laughs> we, we don't really talk about it, but now I don't work for the government anymore so I can talk about it. <laughs> right. No, that, that, that's a really interesting look at, look at how things were. I imagine it was really valuable just having that, that look into how things are pushed through and, and how things work in that kind of uh, arena, meaning uh, HHS. I think one of the things that people don't realize is that meaningful use was not an infrastructure building exercise. Mm-hmm. It was part of the stimulus bill. Right. And it was aligned with some of the administrative priorities because if you want to get to value-based purchasing, you can't do it by abstracting paper records. You have to have an electronic way of of collecting data that then you could use to determine the quality of services that were provided. It doesn't scale if you have to go into every doctor's office and and do chart abstraction to figure out whether or not they qualify for the payment incentives and and things for providing higher quality care. So you had to get to an electronic way of dealing with medical information if you wanted to get to payment reform. So it it was no accident that two years before the Affordable Care Act was passed, HITECH came out and started to develop the infrastructure, if you will, for electronic health records. But it was primarily geared towards um, adoption of electronic health records, not interoperability. Right. And it was tied to an incentive program, and, it, and the whole incentive program was front-loaded. I remember being on calls with the administration, and it was with the vice president's office that was primarily charged with the um, stimulus bill, but saying, you know, if you can't get the money allocated and out to the people, the doctors and the others that are out there, the hospitals, then we're going to take the money away and we'll use it to build a bridge because 
we've got to unstick the economy and we've got to try to get money out there to help stimulate the economy. So there was a lot of pressure to try to move very, very quickly. You know, I think we knew that we could achieve the goals of adoption because that was the principal charge of the high-tech act. We knew also that you couldn't develop interoperability in a committee. You had to do it in the real world. And so we also knew that it was going to be messy after we adopted all these records because it would be challenging to get them to talk with one another. But to try to do it in a committee and in a hypothetical, uh, we knew was probably not going to be successful. And so uh, by getting it out there, making it messy, but providing mechanisms that would have this portfolio of standards that we could adjust and adapt as technology changed, We thought that was a better strategy for getting to a more sustainable interoperability than to try to define what interoperability should be in a committee Mm -hmm. and then deploy it. And I think that would have stifled innovation. I think it would have stifled new approaches, you know, and fire probably would have never happened, which I think has been a good thing for the industry in terms of the adoption of, of standards. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective because, as I'm sure this doesn't surprise you, but we've heard time and time again, why wasn't interoperability baked in? But, you know, you can see why when you really break it down and look at it, but that there was no way to do that and have it uh, be effective. Yeah, and to get the money out there under the auspices of high tech and things. You know, so we, you know, there was an understanding that the systems weren't going to be perfect. But by thinking about the set of standards as a portfolio, kind of like you would do with your financial retirement, it also gave you then the flexibility to modify and change and adopt. And I think one of the things that many times CIOs and others think, it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to adopt this electronic health record and then I'm done. Yeah. I don't have to do anything more. My, my job is done now. The reality is, is that you've adopted electronic health record and you have just started your journey. Right. Because as healthcare changes and as delivery changes, your technology has to change to change with it. And once you've got it in an electronic format, you've got to be able to figure out ways to kind of continually modify and change. You know, again, the same thing that applies to standards applies to information technology. A technology that you never use is a technology that you never change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So part of the things that perhaps wasn't explicit is that there's an implicit evolution that has to happen with the technology that we use and the smart CIOs and others will build into their technology and processes ways that will allow these things to change, mm-hmm. right? I used to ask CIOs, you know, that would come to me when I was at ONC and say, you know, we just spent X millions of dollars and we've got our system installed and we're all excited and that's great. And, I'd, and I would be like, you know, that is fantastic. Now, as you're thinking about this, what's the, have you thought about the next system that you're going to install? Right. You know, which is probably not the right thing to ask after you've gone through the pain and hardship of putting in a, the first system. But it's an important question to ask because yeah. you've got to build your systems for obsolescence. You've got to build your systems for evolution. And that means, and you know, computer technology and things like that have paradigms that you would follow that would allow you to change one aspect of your system without disrupting other parts of it. And I think we're still learning how to do this at scale. But, you know, one of the things that I think sometimes mischaracterize the problem, the problem isn't one of architecture. The problem is one of city planning. So it's different than designing a building. 
It's about creating the incentives and the structures that, that allow robust cities to grow and thrive. And so, you know, what do you need? You need zoning laws, police and fire protection. You need basic infrastructure, water, sewer, electricity. You need building codes to make it safe. You need zoning laws that help you incentivize certain kinds of structures in certain kinds of areas. You know, so there's a whole host of things. And if you think about the problem of interoperability in electronic health records as one of city planning and not one of architecture, mm-hmm. it starts to define everybody's role. So what's yeah. the role of government? And what's the role of industry? And what's the role of doctors and patients and others? Because everybody has to serve a particular role. Yeah. And if you think about it as building a building, then it tends to be too technology heavy. And we know that the kinds of problems that we're trying to solve are really socio-technical. They're not just technology, but they're about workflow integration and education and professional development and teaching people how to be good users of the systems. All of those things I think are important. And so framing the problem as one of city planning and not of architecture really, I think, broadens the kind of solutions that you might come to. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes sense to look at it look at it from that perspective. And so you've uh you pretty much answered what I wanted to ask about, you know, what made you interested in coming to Amia because it seems like that was just kind of uh the the logical next step in kind of seeing things uh through. Yeah, I I get to participate in many of the same conversations. I just get to sit on the other side of the table now. Right. Right. <laughs> Very different. That Well, similar content, but, yeah, a different uh, viewpoint for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. And then and, and in those three years, it's, um, it definitely seems like, it's, uh, like it, it was the right move for you. Like you're, you, I mean, you see me like you're definitely <laughs> uh, have found uh, a good home there. Well, you know, I've been a member of AMIA for over 20 years. It's been right. my professional home, you know, ever since I was a medical student. My first meeting was in 1986, which is hard to believe, but yes, it's been a long time. This is my tribe. These are my colleagues and friends. These are people who think about problems in the same way that I do. We're not selling products. We're not out there representing vendors. We're representing the informatics community. We're representing patients. And, you know, a lot of times I go up to the hill and we'll visit with congressional representatives and members of the Senate, and we'll tell them about AMIA, and we'll tell them about some of the things that we're concerned with and some of the issues that we, wanna, we, uh, we think are right. But at the end of the day, our ask is never, we need this particular legislation passed or we need this particular restriction lifted. Our ask is, when you start to, ha- to tackle these hard problems of um, – interoperability and usability and data blocking and all these other things that people are talking about, when you start to handle those problems, just call us. Mm. Let us contribute to the conversation because we have 5,400 members that are just, are just waiting to be able to apply their skill and expertise in informatics to some of these really hard problems. And so, you know, we don't sell a product we're a 501c3. We're not a 501c6. We're not a trade association. We're really a professional organization that's, that's really there to advocate for the safe and effective use of information technology and the use of informatics to leverage and make the most of that technology that's out there. All right. I think that that's, 
that wraps up um, what I wanted to talk about. Really, really great stuff, and I think that this is going to be really enlightening for our CIO readers and other, other health IT leaders just to, to give them a window. And, um, yeah, it's been great hearing your perspective. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. We're happy to, to help in whatever way we can. Yeah, sure thing. I will. And uh, I, I definitely hope to speak with you again. I'm sure that there's always going to be enough to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's the great thing about informatics these days is that, yeah. you know, years ago I always had to explain it to people, and now everybody wants to be one. So <laughs> not a bad place to be. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.